she left the water jar behind. She left it behind. Think about that for a moment. She left it behind. This woman came to Jacob's well with one purpose. She probably had a lot of things that she had scheduled to do on that particular day, but in the middle of the day, she finds herself with a need to go to the well and to get water. And for the first half, as we saw last week, for the first half of the conversation with Jesus, that is all that is on her mind. How can I get water? How can I secure the water? And if you happen to have a way to get better water, another an ending supply of water that perhaps is closer to my house, my house will then please let me know how that is. She came with one purpose, and she left with another. Last week, I spoke of how easy and common it is for us to become so fixated, so preoccupied, with the tasks that are at hand, with the material needs and necessities of day-to-day life that we end up ignoring, a deeper hunger or thirst that exists within our souls because there are things to do, there is water to secure. But in the passage that is before us today, we see, and this is to paraphrase an old Puritan, we see the intrusive and the expulsive power of a new affection that takes up residence in her heart. It is an affection that drives out one need and replaces it with another, that drives out one particular purpose and replaces it with something else. When Jesus called his disciples, they left their nets. When Jesus calls this woman, she leaves her jar. She's filled with a new affection and a new priority. We're going to consider this passage today under three headings that I think work our way through the passage. The first is come and see. The second is go and tell. And the third is hear and believe. Verse 29 of our passage Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Come and see. This is her testimony, her testimony of what has happened in her life. Verse uh, 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. Come and see. That is what she said in essence. Now, perhaps there's a little bit more that she spoke that we don't have recorded here, but we have the essence of the message boiled down for us in those words that she offers. Come and see these things. This is what the disciples of Jesus say to people. So, in John chapter 1, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip replies to him and says, come and see. And when Jesus is asked, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus responds to them, come and you will see. The Gospel of John, 
is an invitation to come and see. Now, John knows full well that for any of his readers, come and see is not going to be literally physically possible in the way that it was for John, for the other disciples, and for this woman. But nevertheless, the invitation goes out to the people of God to come and see. She gives this testimony. Many of us get nervous, timid, we get fearful when the idea of giving our testimony comes up. And we wonder, okay, what in the world do I have to say to a non-Christian, to a non-believer about the faith? What if they have questions about the faith that I can't answer, things I don't know, things I don't understand? What if I'm explaining something and they kind of start chuckling at me, they kind of start laughing at me, they kind of start making fun of me? Because to them, the things that I'm saying are silly, they're ridiculous, they're nonsensical. No one's going to believe me. But this woman stands as an encouragement for all of the church for all ages. I mean, for us as we sit here today, but for anybody who has ever read this passage, there is a simple truth that is made clear in the way that she gives her testimony, and it is this, don't walk away without it, it is this, God can use anybody. God can use her. God can use you. A new affection she has, a new joy, a new faith, a new hope has taken hold of her and her heart. And it has overcome the present need that she had. The present need that she had was for water. It has overcome her initial skepticism. Her skepticism reflected in her statement, are you greater than our father Jacob? It has overcome the shame and the embarrassment she probably feels about her very questionable life. She is there. She is an unlikely emissary. If you were thinking about how do I reach this town for Christ, how do I give them the message, she's probably not the one that you would choose. She is an unlikely messenger. In fact, I don't think you could find a more unlikely messenger than her, and yet she is appointed by God. And her testimony, I think it contains several components that are important for us to hear when we think about how do we give testimony to our Lord and Savior. In the first place, her testimony is essentially her story. It's the story of her life. Let me tell you about a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Not everybody could give that testimony. That's not how Jesus approached everybody. But it is her story. It is the way that she can communicate what has taken place. She doesn't give a theology lesson to the people in the town. She's telling what happened to her. And you have your story. It's not her story. It's a different story. Whether it's a story of you growing up in a household of faith, of challenges that came to your faith along the way, or a story of your conversion, you have your story. 
Secondly, as a component, she tells who Jesus is. She asks the question in a very humble way, can this be the Christ? Now, at this point in redemptive history, that's the only way she could have said it. She can't declare this. The, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection hasn't taken place. Not all things are yet put together. And so she can ask a hopeful question of people that points them to the identity of Jesus Christ. Could he be the Christ? This is what Jesus had told her, and she can give that simple testimony to somebody else. And third, in the words, come and see, she provides an invitation, a call to turn. The call to turn from a new direction, to leave whatever it is you're doing at this moment in the town, right? Everybody was busy with their own things. Turn away from that and come out here and see a man who told me all I ever did. And wonder of wonders, the people respond. The people of the town respond. We'll come back to that in a moment. But we want to follow along here with the story because we have almost a bit of comical relief in this story. It's comical relief that allows Jesus the opportunity to speak of something with, an, with a great de degree of seriousness. And that is the command to go and tell. The timing of the story is divine. The disciples show up or return in the story at the pinnacle moment of Jesus' self-revelation. It's an extraordinary moment in time that has come with this declaration, I who speak to you am he. And they return on the scene. They had gone away, as you recall, to get him something to eat, to pick up some bread from somewhere close by or as close as they could find that was appropriate for them. And so the whole situation is very earthy and very real. They come back with bread and they are literally dumbstruck by what they see. They look at this Jewish rabbi talking with a Samaritan woman and we don't need to, or it, we won't take time to go into all of the cultural reasons for this, but if we could explore all of the cultural reasons for the Jewish rabbi talking to the Samaritan woman, what we would see is that it is nothing short of scandalous. And they are completely bewildered by what is taking place here. You love the fact that in this, John supplies representative questions of what they might have asked at that particular moment, verse 27. No one said, what do you seek? Which would be a question to the woman. Or why are you talking with her? Those are potential things. You, you, you could have asked them if you wanted to. But the whole situation is too much for them. It's too much for them even to speak and to ask a question. And so she leaves. She heads back to the town and they finally recall the actual task that is at hand. And as they recall the task that is at hand, they are mirroring exactly what the woman did, exactly the way the woman thought in this passage. The woman had an original concern for water, and now the disciples 
return, and they have also an original concern that they now go back to, and they say, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says to them, I have food you do not know about. And like the woman, and as we have seen now, already four times in John, already four times in John, we have seen people utterly confused by what Jesus is talking about, what he's saying. He's using metaphors. They're thinking literally. And he's trying to get beneath the surface. He's trying to get through to them. They're completely confused. They have totally missed the point. Indeed, water and food are important. They are gifts of God. But something more important, a greater priority and a greater opportunity than the opportunity to eat physically is at hand. Jesus sees a chance here to teach them about his mission and about their mission in light of what has happened and what is happening in front of them at the very moment that this is taking place. And here's what it is. He has been sent by his father to do the will and the work of his father. Now, every single word there is extremely important. Sent by his father, the will and the work of his father. They're very loaded in content for John, but we don't need to go into them right now because he will take care of them and explain them more as the gospel continues on. But in this setting, we do have to ask the question, okay, what is the will and the work for which Jesus has been sent? And to say it in two words, it is, or three words, go and tell. That is the will and the work for which Jesus has been sent. Go and tell. It is the means by which the harvest is gathered together. Why is he talking to the woman? What is the food that he has? The answer is go and tell. Jesus is saying to them, I'm fueled by this mission that has been entrusted to me. The woman is also fueled by the mission because she has done what Jesus did. She has gone and told. For the disciples, going and telling might make some sense as a mission. It might make sense if, if one significant thing in the story was different and the significant thing is if they were in a different place, if they were in principally Jewish territory, if they were in a Jewish town, then okay, maybe this makes sense that we should go and tell and proclaim. Instead, this place that we're in right now seems like a place where, you know, it's, we're not liked here. We don't like the people who are here. You know their history. You know their past. All of us know it. We all know we hate each other. We know that they are idolatrous. This is a place where you should just pass through as quickly as possible. Stopping because you have to, because uh, you're tired and thirsty. Okay, some things you have to do. But beyond what you have to do, what we need to do is get going. We need to get out of this particular region. Surely, the disciples must have thought to himself, themselves, there's got to be a better time 
a better place, and certainly a better person with whom we should be speaking. Parentheses, how often do we say our, that to ourselves when we're thinking about sharing the faith with somebody? We're, when we're wondering in a conversation, is this the right time for me to say something? How often do we say, it's probably a better time, a better place, there's somebody, maybe somebody better than me to say what needs to be said, or there's a better person, a more likely person to hear this message. Jesus, in this section and in all that follows here as he's explaining the idea of the harvest, he's trying to say to his disciples that the age of the harvest has arrived. It is time now for the harvest to begin. The word is going out and souls are coming in. What, what, what do you say? The word is going out and look guys, coming out of the city over the, the hills right there, those are the people who are coming in. The passage that we read, the Old Testament reading. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It's the time. It's the time where the word is bringing in the harvest. And time is now compressed. Sowers of seed and reapers are overtaking one another. Typically speaking, there's months between the time of sowing the seed and reaping the harvest. As Jesus tells it here in Proverbs, it says there's four months between those things. And oftentimes those who sow the seeds are not the same people who reap the harvest. But Jesus says, listen, the times are changing. And the reaper is being overtaken by the sower. The sower is being overtaken by the reaper. The verse on the front of your bulletin, Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, declare the, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Jesus is reminding them of this prophecy, and he's saying to them, guys, this is what is happening right now. I just spoke to her. She just, we, you guys all went out to get bread. I spoke to her in a 10-minute conversation. She has gone back. She's told the town her own heart has changed, and look at the people coming over the hills. What Jesus is saying is normally there should be space between these things. Normally, it doesn't work that way. But a new time is at hand, and these things are compressed. And in fact, what is taking place is joy is replacing tears in her life and in their lives. It's a call to worship. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come back home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. How is it that one who goes out to sow brings back sheaves at the same time? That's what Jesus is saying here. This is the time for that, and it is happening. It is happening here in Samaria. I went, I told her, she went, she told them, and now look, here they come over the hills. This is as surprising 
of a conversion as the people of Nineveh. It is a simple testimony. Jonah gave the worst sermon in history, and God has his people prepared to respond to the word that has gone out. Go and tell. And finally then, we understand that the call here is to hear and to believe. We read first that they heard her testimony, and on account of the testimony that she gave, they believed. And then they said they heard him and many more believed. A reformation is breaking out in Samaria of all places. Unbelievable to the disciples, but it has happened there before. A reminder, this is where Abraham originally sent or set up his altar. Isaac was digging wells all around this area. Maybe this Jacob's well is actually one that Isaac dug. He was digging wells all around it, not only for himself, but for the generations who would come as a testimony of faith that God will keep his promises. And then that's 2,000 years before Jesus is there. And 1,500 years before that, Joshua comes back with the people, and they're worshiping right in this particular spot. But a reformation is now taking place there. The word goes forth with a call to faith. And what in particular are we supposed to believe? Verse 42, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We don't just need a call to come and see, or we don't just need a mission to go and tell. We need saving. We need a Savior. The woman needed someone to save her from her sins. The Samaritan needed someone to save them from their sins. And you and I need someone to save us from our sins sins. Jesus had said in his conversation with the woman, salvation is from the Jews. That's what he had declared. In the Samaritan's confession of faith, there is, praise God, this idea. Yes, salvation is from the Jews, but praise God, salvation is not only for the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. Isaiah 54 that, or 55 that we read earlier. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. And here it is. The Samaritan didn't know God. And now the Samaritans are running to know Jesus. A little sequence has gone on here in John that should sound familiar to us. In John chapter 2, Jesus was in Jerusalem. In John chapter 3, he was in Judea. And now here in John chapter 4, we find him in Samaria. That should sound familiar to us. It should sound a lot like Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth in Acts 1.8. Not yet, here. That has to wait for the 
crucifixion and for the resurrection for that commission to take place. But the same pattern is there. The Savior of the world. The only other time that that title is used of Jesus, he is the Savior of the world, is in the passage that is in your bulletin. It was the assurance of forgiveness today. We have seen and testify, and this is John writing, obviously, same John who wrote our gospel. But imagine the Samaritans saying this. John can say it, and Samaritans can say it. The woman can say it. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If you have not trusted in the Savior of the world for salvation, then the call of this passage is don't wait. The woman saw the Savior of the world. She went and told people about the Savior of the world, and the people of the town came out and confessed and believed that he is indeed the Savior of the world. If you have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, let me take this back to the image of this passage and suggest to you, leave the water jars behind. Leave the jar behind. You have to turn. You have to follow. You have to come and to see that Jesus and to believe in him. Now, if you're here today and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then rejoice in what John rejoices in, the love of God. Abide in the love of God. What John writes about then in 1 John, when he's using the same title, is the new affection. The new affection of love that resides in the heart. And that leads us to, we have seen and we testify. The call for us in a passage like this is to follow the example of Jesus or perhaps more easy for us to comprehend, follow the example of the woman. Follow her example. She does what disciples do. Disciples go and they tell the story and they point people to Jesus and they call people to believe in Jesus. Sometimes you need to leave the water jar for the sake of your own soul. Sometimes, Christian, you need to leave the water jar for the sake of someone else's soul. She finds refreshment leaving the water jars. But she leaves the water jar behind because she has to get back to town and tell people about this. What takes up your time right now? What takes up your attention right now? You might have to leave that water jar behind so that you can find some opportunity this week to follow their example to engage some non-believing person in a conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ.
You may be only able to do part of what she did, or you may be able to do all of it. To tell somebody your story. That's what disciples do. They give testimony. They bear witness. Tell your story. Get yourself into a conversation. Someone break a barrier. Jesus has his harvest appointed in this world. The time for sowers and reapers is not some other time. That time is now. Compressed together. The world will not return, the word will not return empty without accomplishing the purposes for which it was sent. And the reason that that is true is because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Soli Deo Gloria. Gracious God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the good news that it is for our souls. And we pray that you would grant us courage, that you would grant us opportunity, faith, to be able to tell somebody else, to be able to testify to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be able to tell our story. Help us to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.